How's that migration looking? You know, it's uh, it's it's kicked off. So um, I'm just watching it in the background now. Just gonna wait and see it go. <laughs> Welcome to GCP Life, episode number 13. GCP Life is sponsored by Kazna. I'm your host, Stephen Bancroft. And on today's show, why aren't we all in the cloud yet? Google are making more cuts. We see what the big three are doing to help the planet. Google is all in on security. We keep saying it, but make sure your Chrome is up to date. And we look at yet another list. But before we get to any of that, I want to welcome the co-host that's with me all the time. It's Dave Wall. How are you going, Dave? Oh, I'm doing really well, thank you. How are you? <laughs> good, mate. Good. Uh, my, I think my intros are getting more and more elaborate every time. Yeah. <laughs> I like that, though. You know, you can just keep, like, bigging me up. That'd be <laughs> like the great and powerful Oz. The great, the great and powerful. <laughs> yeah. And then you look behind the curtain and what do you find? Yeah, just um, <laughs> nothing. Yeah, that's the series of pipes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. Uh, we're recording the show a little bit early today because tonight I'm going to see Kelsey Hightower talk at the Google office. I'm. I'm really jealous. I missed out on an opportunity to go to the Melbourne session of that. Um, yep. I think that's. That, I think you're going to learn a lot. I think that'll be great. Well, I. I, I have to say, I. I, I don't. Look, I, I, I've learned a little bit about Kubernetes uh, through you know all the all the certs that I've done, but. I've never actually, you know, hardcore implemented or been a, you know, a big Kubernetes fanboy in the past. Uh, but no, yeah, I'll, I'll be very, very interested mm. to see what, uh, what he's got to say. And I think for like, you know, anyone else is listening, like if you've pretty much anyone who's ever studied Kubernetes, like the go-to recommendation is Kelsey Hightower's Kubernetes the hard way. <laughs> Um, whereas like you are going through no scripts you're you're building out all your clusters like anyone who's done their their CKA like probably not the CCAD because you don't have to build clusters but anyone who's done their CKA like the amount of hands-on understanding it gives you uh, for how Kubes goes together Um, and also the really nice one is his one's uh, all built out on on GCP now yeah well it's all built out for you on GCP Yeah. yeah Of course, he features in the Kubernetes documentary, which we talked about on the show early on, early episodes of the show. Um, I might go and watch that again, actually, just catch on the, catch up on those bits before I, I see him. I'm going to take my uh, little personal audio recorder and I'll try and catch some snippets of the, of the, uh, of the event, but I'm not expecting like a sit-down interview with him or anything like that, but I'll, I'll see what I can record and we might be able to uh, give you a bit of insight into what was said. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm actually picturing you like getting all up in his face and be like, Stephen Bancroft from GCP Life. Excuse me, sir. Have you got time for a few questions? What's your opinion of the Istio being handed over to the CNCF? No, no, that's, I won't be, that's not me. Anyway, <laughs> I um I moved my wife's business to workspaces. Oh, mm. but, uh, I am she, interested to hear how that went. Yeah, so she's um she'd been complaining about the the email. I keep getting these emails from 
people that want to improve my SEO and, um, you know, your website looks, you know, could do with improvement and, yeah, it's constant. Um, three, four, five, you know, up to ten a day maybe. Oh, jeez. And it's like, well, you know, the, the the hosting provider you're on, she's just using the, the, the you know, the SMT email that they SMTP email that they provide and it was just uh, they occasionally had problems and I thought that's it it's going I'm putting it over to workspaces and she had this sort of legacy thing where she when she first spun the business up she had one name so I set it up under that and then she wanted to change the business name so she still had the old domain hanging around and it was just bleh. so yeah basically the process is uh, you, you you register in workspaces um uh, against some email address that you have and you you tell it what domain you want to use and then you can just set that up and but then you've got to claim the domain and then that so the domain she wanted to use was a new business name of course and then so that process is basically putting some text records into the DNS um, and as long as that all matches then bingo you've you've got the domain and then you can uh, send and receive emails um, using that domain. And, oh, boy, the process of setting up uh, Gmail, she still uses the Outlook client, but um, connecting the Outlook client to, to Gmail as the mail sender is so much easier than, than the, you know, the convoluted instructions that were given by the previous web hosting provider, which didn't even work because they said to turn on uh, SSL and SSL didn't work, so it was kind of all unencrypted. Um, but now, yeah, boom, straight in, works straight away, no problems. And I've set it up so that, you know, when she sends an email, she's still got the old uh, access to the old uh, mailbox, but when she sends an email to, from there, I've set it up so the reply address is the new email address. Yep. And she and her default sending is from the new email address, which is on Google Workspaces. So I'm hoping when the um, subscription expires to that, then it'll all go away and all of, all her clients will have the new email address and she'll be working from the new email address. But yeah, pretty painless, really. Um, the most difficult thing was with the, I won't name the um, DNS register that she's <laughs> with, but um, they have the interface is just, just weird. Uh, there's two places to do DNS entries, and of course, I'd done the DNS entry on what I thought was the correct place to do it. Yeah. It looked legitimate. <laughs> Wasn't updating for like two days, <laughs> and then I found this other. Oh, I'll do it here and just see what happens. Yeah, sure enough, within an hour, it was all done. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, nice. um, I mean that's um, that's good to know. So that wasn't going from Office three six five. That was just like the web hosting provider's email to workspaces now. To workspaces, that's right. Yeah, she's still using um, Office 20, 20, 2019 or something installed on a on a desktop. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm trying to wean her off that as well and get her under the Google Tool Suite. Yeah, I mean, I want to move. Um, again, it's also like my wife's business, but they're uh, an Office 365. You know, it's really small, it's only like, you know, two accounts. But I'd like to do that same approach and get them over to workspaces and try, yeah, try to get them away on, from Active Directory. Yeah, it all hinges on that domain. Um, once you claim that domain and then you you got 14 days free, the first 14 days are free, so you can get it all in place. And then um, once you get that domain... Uh, claimed, then and you, and you you make your first payment. It all opens up, and it's pretty straightforward from there. Cool. 
Um, yeah, so that was my little uh, little uh, Google um, tech play during the week. And uh, it looks like the Google quarterlies are out as well. Yeah, that was hot off the press. I think it was like just yesterday. Um, those have, have come in. I think uh, looking a, a little softer, but uh, GCP is nice, but the uh, wider alphabet group was a little soft, I think. I haven't had a good look at this yet because you just sent it to me like 10 minutes before the <laughs> <Yeah>. show. <laughs> you, it's, it's hot off the presses. Uh, hot off the press. So um, what am I, how do I interpret this? This is metric, EPS revenue. Yeah, so well, I, I can jump in here. So yeah. uh, at least on the GCP side, um, cloud revenue grew 43.8% year on year. Uh, decelerating from the previous quarter's pace, but still up plenty. Um, uh, it was the slowest pace of growth that the company has recorded since the second quarter of uh, FY 2020. But they highlighted that the strong growth in cloud revenue as well as search revenue, um, they were, they were the highlights for the quarter. So do we think this is a good result? It's good from a, from a GCP result, mm, but I think so. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. The wider. Uh, wider alphabet was short. I think it was more on uh, ad revenue. I think where it came in a little soft, a, a lower than expected, but still good. Still, I imagine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. I'll put a link for that in the show notes. Pretty short article, just with a few numbers in it. Um, I guess it's a quarterly, so we'll probably make that a thing every uh, every quarter, mm. and we'll uh, keep you across that. So, um, all right, I thought we'd get started with the show then. Um, yeah, look, a few articles today, quite a number of security articles, um, but I thought we'd kick off with some uh, cloud agnostic kind of talk. Uh, and this first one here is, um, why aren't all the financial institutions in the cloud? Why has it been so slow? This is an article from The Guardian. Um, time's up, why Australia's financial institutions must accelerate their cloud migration journeys. Um, after seeing what Afterpay and its many imitators did to credit companies' uh, profits, you might assume Australian financial institutions would never again want to be caught napping by tech-savvy new market entrants. Yet history looks set to repeat itself. If venerable incumbents don't complete their cloud migration journeys quickly enough to hold on to their customers, especially their younger digital native customers. So, uh, yeah, they're slow. Now, we, we, I, uh, we have uh, some financial institution clients. We and, have a lot um, of financial institution clients. We have a lot of financial institutions. And um, there are moves happening behind the scenes. But, yeah, I guess from, from the... Uh, you know, from from the general public's point of view, it does look slow. Um, and, you know, I guess they got their reasons. Um, it estimated Australian businesses, including financial sector businesses, have only about 25% of their IT infrastructure in the cloud. If they want to remain competitive, they will need to get all or most of the remaining 75% on the hybrid cloud by 2025. Oh, hybrid, you know how I feel about hybrid cloud. <laughs> Gartner estimates that more than 95% of new digital workloads were deployed on cloud native platforms by then. So I think what we're seeing uh, is when they're deploying new stuff, it's going into cloud. 
But the old legacy stuff that's on-prem that's really difficult is they're just doing nothing about it. They're just like too hard basket. Yeah, and I, I don't think this is just a financial services thing. There's a lot of large enterprise, you know, especially they've got that uh, they're slow ships to turn. They spent a long time being like, oh, well, we don't trust the public clouds. You know, we'll build, you know, there'll be uh, platform teams that'll build out our private clouds and it'll be just as good. Uh, I'm sure there was a lot of, uh, you know, white elephant projects out there. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And um, now I think it's where the the benefit of the cloud is it's not just being able to host like compute, en- compute engine instances. It's everything else that you're getting in there. All of the agility that you can get from doing those migrations, uh, all of the other services that you can consume. Um, yeah, yeah, the SaaS, SaaS services. Uh, the the availability, the you know the redundancy built into it, baked into it, um, exactly, right, exactly, yeah. yes. And and there's there's another article we'll talk about after this, which which you know is an adjunct to this, which talks about that exactly. Um, another point this makes here is during the pandemic, uh, with staff working remotely and customers unable to visit branches, financial institutions had to make wider use of public cloud enabled applications such as video conferencing. However, they were still reluctant to let sensitive financial data stored on-prem go off-prem, which is, I think, a fair call. Um, But there are reasons for that. For obvious reasons, financial institutions have been cautious about sending any of their customers' financial data off-prem. Indeed, until recently, it wasn't entirely clear in what circumstances Australians' financial data could be shared with a third party. So the legislation wasn't even there. Yeah, and, and you can why. see that culturally within a company, like, oh, well, we have to hold on to this data. We couldn't possibly mm. share it out there. And once that dam breaks and you realise, actually, if we put it there, you know, it can be as safe or more safe. Um, yeah. You know, to actually taking that opportunity to, you know, properly implement your uh, your security from scratch again. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, uh, Australia's data sovereignty laws means you can't, send it overseas uh, if it's in a public cloud, which which makes sense, right? And Google Cloud does give you the option of where you want to store things. Um, but this article goes on to say, Australia's regulatory environment was somewhat cloud unfriendly until recently. Um, up until mid-2020, Australian financial institutions could only do business with a relatively small number of cloud providers, ones the federal government had approved via its cloud services certification program. So, you know, it's it's regulation once again. It's it's the legal side of things trying to keep up with the tech, and that's that's a common story, right? Yeah, for sure. It becomes very easy to say no to doing things as well, like through any organisation. Like we can't possibly yeah. do that because the regulation says this, but maybe you're not actually up to date on what the latest side of the regulation is and what your industry peers are doing. Yeah, I mean, and just sit on your hands, right? If we don't change any, if we don't change anything. We don't have to worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Australia's financial sector is now effectively. So here's the twist, right? Australia's financial sector is now effectively being pressured to accelerate its cloud migration journey by the same regulators who were slowing things down in the past. Right. So there's now uh, a push by those regulators. And it's all around security and compliance. Um, 
to get it in the cloud because uh, you know the cloud providers are are demonstrating that they can meet those requirements. Yeah, and there, there was there was actually an interesting line here in this article um, about this act, which I wasn't aware of, which is the uh, the Critical Infrastructure Act, um, where it actually talks about penalties for financial institutions if they were to go down. I guess you know in, in a disaster situation about how quickly they can recover. Yep. Um, so you know if that's the case, if you're a company that's affected by this, all of a sudden you're looking at like, okay, well, what is our DR capability right now? What would we need to build out to meet our obligations here? Oh no! How many data centers uh, am I spent spinning yeah, up? Yeah. Okay, let's yeah. go leverage a hyperscaler. Yep, it's a lot easier for a bank insurance site, credit card company, or payment service provider to be up and running thirty to sixty minutes after a cash- catastrophe if most of its mission criticals are off premises on the public cloud rather than an on premise data center or private cloud. And. And we're seeing it. We're we're like at the coalface of this at the moment, aren't we, Dave, with the project we're on? Yeah, 100%, yeah. Yeah, so we're absolutely seeing that um, we're doing a migration from on-prem, which is probably fair to say there was very little redundancy built into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're doing this VMware migration into GCVE uh, in Google Cloud. And just by the nature of it and with a simple flag – a one-line flag in a Terraform script, we can create a redundant solution. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, to do a failover, so there's a there's a bit of bit of argy bargy and a bit of click ops that's got to happen, but um, it's baked in. It really is baked in. Um, so yeah, so that's that's kind of where the banks are. I mean, they're, they're dragging the chain there, but the thing is, uh, that's they're not the only one, which we we kind of touched on. Um. Another article here from Znet: um, Cloud computing has all the momentum, but we still live in an on-premises world for now. But only seven percent of enterprises are truly all cloud. Seven percent. Um, it's one of the takeaways from the 850 IT executives released by Foundry. So this is on a survey that they took, and they took a lot of numbers, a lot of stats. I'm not going to go through all of them here. You can have. I'll link to the article in the show notes, but. Some of the, the highlighted stats, half of the executive surveys said their organisational's total IT environment is some on cloud, but mostly on-prem, which is exactly what we saw with the migration that we're doing now. Um, while over a third, 34%, is mostly cloud, but some on-prem, and only 7% is all cloud. 7%. We've barely touched the surface. <laughs> So, so the reasons behind this is one-third report a lack of cloud migration skills expertise and 30% report difficulty in finding staff with cloud development skills and expertise. How many times has that come up in our show? That is a reoccurring theme right there. It is. It's, uh, <laughs> it's common across uh, our customers. It's common across uh, like just like my friends in the industry, you know, there's so many holes in people's teams, like even like someone leaves because you know salaries are high right now, and it's very very competitive for tech people. Um, trying to backfill those positions very difficult. It's near impossible, isn't it? And I, I, I'm going to say it. I actually think recruiters are part of the problem. I I, I think um, recruiters are. Are too, they're, they're too fussy. That basically what it comes down to. They they really 
in in my experience, right? They they really they want to find the unicorn every single time, and that ain't going to happen. They're not going to find someone that perfectly matches the job description. In fact, they should be quite literally doing quite the opposite. They should find someone that's um, you know a, a, a greenfield, a blank slate, and and the company should be prepared to to upskill them to where they need to be. Yeah, and I, and I think that's where I mean I, I know it's something that that we are doing through like Mantle Group, like you know absolutely we're bringing yeah. people up. Um, I'm expecting to see more of that through um, like people actually like the customer side of things, not just in the consulting industry. Um, you have to be prepared to invest in people. It's just the only way. I mean, the other thing you mentioned on the recruiter side of things, um, there's also just hiring processes within companies because the market is so competitive and it's not all just salaries. Like you are, you do have to offer benefits like, you know, remote working and things like that. Um, And there's, there's plenty of like recruitment processes that a company will go to, which will take weeks. And when the market's so competitive, like, that person that you that was you might have found your unicorn. Well, they're a unicorn for like three other companies. So yep. yeah, and they're not going to hang around, and they're not going to put up with the rubbish that comes out of your recruiting process, right? Yeah. Uh, I just want they just want to know that that you like me. I'll come and work for you. I'm not going to put up with any garbage. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then you have to work on you know keeping your people happy as well, right? So that's so that they'll want to stay. Yeah, reduce that staff churn, right? You you, you want them to stay there because that's that's ultimately going to cost your company big money, right? If you've, I mean, you've got to invest in these people to upskill them. The last thing you want is for them to leave. Oh, for sure. Um, so yeah, that's that's really a recurring theme. Um, just to get back on track here, uh, the percentage of companies with most or all IT infrastructure in the cloud is expected to increase from 41% today to 63% in the next 18 months. So I guess, uh, you know, they're expecting a a boom. Um, Is this post-pandemic, you know, everyone's decided, oh, you know, the pandemic's over, we've, we've, got to, we've got to get to cloud, we've got to do it now, you know, we don't want to get stuck again. For sure. And I actually do wonder if, you know, through the pandemic years, I mean, I remember, um, you know, in my last role where I was working in-house at a company, like, it was so hard to get to the data center, right? So you put off projects that required actually, you know, getting on-prem. Uh, I, I'm sure that a lot of companies deferred their, like, hardware tech refresh plans. Uh, yep. Maybe they're like, oh, okay, well, we don't know what's happening with the pandemic. We'll sweat the asset. Or also, you know, because parts were so hard to get, you know, costs went higher. So I can imagine that there's a lot of infrastructure that's sitting out there now that is past or either very close to or well past its um, use-by-date. Use by date. Yeah. 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 And that's that's prime candidate for for cloud migration, that stuff. Oh boy, yeah, I, I know there's a data center here in Sydney that if you want to take, you know, hardware, you can't you can't carry it through the rotating doors. You gotta you gotta go to the thing, you gotta sign in and you gotta carry it all the way around to the loading dock and then you gotta wait for the guy and buzz the it's just a pain in the neck. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know, banking, make sure you don't uh, load too much on a trolley and slide it down a ramp. <laughs> we, won't, we won't mention that. <laughs> God, listen to previous episodes for that one, people. <laughs> anyway, look, the top business objectives driving cloud investments include the following. Enabling disaster recovery and business continuity, 
right? And we mentioned that earlier. Absolutely. Replacing on-prem legacy technology, 39%. We were just talking about that, right? Lowering total cost of ownership, 34%. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be cheaper in the long run. Uh, but keep in mind, uh, while you're running both, while you're spinning up your, your cloud environment, yeah, there's going to be some costs there initially. Definitely, yeah. Uh, but, 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 but it's about the long game, right? Uh, employing, uh, improving employee productivity. Um, that's a now, big one. That's a big one, right? So if you're doing things the DevOps way um, and you're using infrastructure as code um, and you're not getting bogged down in all the minutiae of managing, uh, you know, failover and HSRP systems and so on, then, yeah, your productivity is going to be improved. For sure. And in a time where you can't get people, uh, it's not even about doing more with less. It's just about you know freeing your people up to do more interesting work. It, more interesting work, less toil. That's right. More engaging work. Um, more meaningful work. Right? Definitely. And uh, greater flexibility to react to changing market conditions. Yep, absolutely. Spin things up, shut things down at a whim. Um, need some more compute? Just just spin it up. Um, the top challenges are controlling cloud costs, thirty-six percent. Um, yeah, I mean you got to you got to put the guardrails in place to pre- prevent things spinning out of control. You need the right right people in there, not just letting anyone in there willy nilly spinning up projects all over the place. Uh, the uh, top challenge is also data privacy and security challenges. I think I think we're getting better at that. We're going to talk about uh, Google Cloud security. Uh, office offerings later in the show, but uh, Google Cloud is t- definitely targeting that area. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then once again, in this little list here, lack of cloud skills as, and expertise. So, so there you go. That's that's why we haven't fully migrated to the cloud yet. I guess. Mm. I guess this is the uh, the counterpoint to um, you know the article from before, right? It's like, why aren't you there? This is why we're not there. <laughs> this is why we're not there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, skills, security, um, and uh, well, help, help me here, Dave. What was the third point? And uh, costs. And costs. Skills, security, yeah. and costs, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, we'll push on. Um, speaking of costs, uh, Google have made some more cuts. Uh, they've made cuts to uh, Australian workforce, which is disappointing. Uh, this is an article here on CRN, um, Australian uh, Australian IT uh, uh, news website. Approximately 100 Google Cloud support employees, including technical solutions engineers and program management positions, are being terminated if they can't find and transfer into a new role within 60 days. Now, we talked about this before with Luca. Yeah, we've been seeing a few um, of these. This is another one that's come up, yeah. Um uh, released Alphabet Workers Union. The cuts are hitting Google Cloud's technical solutions engineers in Australia, New Zealand, and Switzerland, and they're moving those roles into India, Poland, Canada, and Mexico. Now, I uh, I don't want to be I'm going to play devil's advocate here, but I strongly suspect it's something to do with the wages. Yes, yeah, we've seen how it sounds. How it so. seems to be. It's, um, it's purely got to be a cost play. Yeah, yeah, and ironically, Google spends millions each year on building new, or billions even, <laughs> billions building new equipment and hyperscale data centers. Absolutely, they're spending like you wouldn't believe. 
uh, to support its ever-growing cloud infrastructure services. Um, yeah, so, I mean, they're making some cuts on one hand and they're, they're, they're spending on the other. But, you know, I guess the upside of it is um, there are plenty of technical roles uh, advertising Google at the moment. Yeah. And, you know, I guess, you know, back on the, the previous discussion, right, there's like, yes, uh, there, are, there are roles available within Google for people, but if there's not, it's still a great time in the tech industry. So even if it's not at Google... There's a lot of people out there that will be looking for your skill sets. Absolutely, yeah. So, I, you know, it sounds bad, but I think if you're in this industry, then you're pretty safe anyway. You have plenty of work going on. Yeah. Um, another little point that this article has just at the end here is um, <clears throat> Google, and I, I didn't know this until I read this, Google Cloud this week launched its new Chronicle MSSP program a four-part initiative with the goal of increasing sales of security products, which we'll talk about shortly, and services via channel partners. The channel program focuses on sales, marketing, business investments, and technical support, all aimed at making it more attractive and easier for MSSPs to sell products and their services on Google Cloud Platform's marketplace site. Oh, that's cool. Mm, Cool, yeah. Um, that's yeah. So they're really going for the managed service side of things, mm. um, and security in particular, managed managed security services. Um, all comes down to their recent purchase, which I found out is not a fait accompli. But we'll get to that. Ooh, <laughs> Mandiant's up in the air, huh? Uh, Mandiant is up in the air. Um, anyway, we'll move on here from that slightly depressing news to something a little bit, a little bit more upbeat. Um. We had uh, had Earth Day recently. Uh, now this is an article from the twenty second of April, um, and uh, we, you know, each of the the big three, they're all doing something to make their operations more sustainable. Uh, Microsoft, um, they're using renewable products in PCs and reducing emissions from data centers. Remember the remember the Microsoft. Uh, Data center in a the underwater a, one, a, underwater one, <laughs> yeah, <right>? the sub, <laughs> the sub, right? Um, it kind of makes sense, right? It, the, the biggest cost is cooling, right? And if you if you're in cold water, you don't really need to worry about that. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> yeah. Um, Amazon said it's going all in on helping scientific organizations, right? Help customer mines Earth observation data from the atmosphere, land, and ocean. So I don't know, is it free? AWS customers are gathering, gathering data on rainwater trends, temperature, uh, forest cover, modeling. Amazon is also collecting large data sets on AWS Cloud to help scientific organizations analyze air quality, rainwater trends, forest cover, and other Earth's observation data. So, <laughs> just, is it free? I don't no, know. it's not. <laughs> this is said AWS like a proud parent that happens to collect revenue. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, that's, yeah. that's a nice statement on their behalf. Like, our customers can do this, and they are paying yeah. us for the privilege. That's that's a good point, isn't it? You have to wonder how much of this is lip service. <laughs> like, just we're, we're gonna we're gonna be we're gonna be environmental. You know, we're gonna be friendly to the client. Um, and Google's is much the same. Google is making climate change information easier to find, <laughs> right? Google Earth time lapse feature, which we we've had Google Earth time lapse on the show before. Uh, we'll let you see effects of climate change over long periods of time. Uh, Google search engine will show you information panels and visuals to make climate change information easier to digest. Okay, 
So if they're making it in a digestible format, then it might make it you know, more upfront to people. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe the deniers will not deny it anymore. <laughs> True. I mean, at least on the, on the Google side, they do make it really easy. Not, I mean, not so much talking about from, uh, you know, from the climate change, like data perspective, but just about like managing your own uh, carbon contributions. Like you've got options in there for like low carbon data centers. You can sort of see like which ones are like, the, the, the kind of least impacting or not so much impacting but like most negative because Google offsets um, uh, all their CO2 um, in fact I had a, a customer not that long ago that that was like one of their uh, kind of most important priorities when we were deploying a new system um, we thought that they would want to be like when we we're, were going to deploy we we're suggesting okay you're in Sydney we'll use you know the Sydney uh, region and they're like actually no just go pick like the one that's got like, the lowest impact and go put it there like we'll take the latency here like, oh, like fair yeah, play right yeah. Yeah, I mean, if they're an environmentally uh, sensitive organization, then that's what they should be doing. And mm -hmm. Google gives you that option there to pick uh, data centers that are offset. Yeah, so it was, yeah. Uh, you know, very easy to find that information, make the choice and, and move their system. So. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Um, and they've made, uh, Google's also made its open source sustainability data platform accessible to anyone. Uh, and you can find data on climate, health, food, emissions, and more. Um, so there you go. Um, what they contributed to Earth Day. It's good. One, definitely one of my top favorite three planets. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite planet to live on, that's for sure. <laughs> and, and breathe air. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's move on to a couple of Google features here. Um Google, uh, there's a couple of, well, the first one's not strictly a Google feature. It's a, uh, it's this new uh, AI management platform. Google Cloud has launched an exclusive AI management platform. And you can get this in the marketplace, Prevision IO. Oh. Prevision IO. This is an article on TechRadar. Prevision IO is a new pay-as-you-go solution. Claims to allow companies outside of the Fortune 500 which lack extensive data science knowledge to build, deploy, and manage AI projects in the cloud. So you might want to get some of that data we just talked about, and you might want to apply some uh, AI to it. Well, this is the thing you use, Prevision, right? Um, the solution has been built on Google Cloud itself and is now available on Google Cloud Marketplace. So you just go to Marketplace and bang, you're up and running. Uh, Prevision IO says users can start building and deploying models immediately after subscribing via Google Cloud Marketplace with no long-term contracts, licensing, or per-user fees. Okay. I wonder um, how this sits alongside, like, um, you know, Vertex AI, or is it a, a competitor to it? Mm, it sounds, sounds more like a competitor to mm. it. But you're not getting any of those fees that you know any of the, the Fortune 500s can kind yeah. of afford. Yeah. Um, you know, once historical data is imported, whether it exists in a bucket or a secure data source like BigQuery, users can start applying their own models inside Prevision or use a platform to build their own model. Mm -hmm. Sounds cool. Um, and you can use it to experiment with new machine learning models, automate training, prediction tasks, deploy scalable work models 
as well as monitor infrastructure and behavior. So some use cases might be um, allow utility companies better forecasting on their energy consumption, um, enabling transport companies to build machine learning models that can form logistic operations based on fluctuating supply and demand. Um, I, I'm just thinking aloud here, maybe maybe uh, forecasting um, equipment breakdowns and like pre-ordering stuff, um, you know, based yeah. on, you know, maintenance history, data, and, maintenance yeah. history and things, yeah. Um, you know, what about uh, other utilities like water? You could, you could predict where there's going to be faults in the network based on the age of pipes or, you know, where there's been work done before. Um, long as you've like, long as you've had all the data into it, um, you should be able to do those kind of predictions. Yeah, awesome. Mm. Certainly sounds cool, and being able to just get it out of the marketplace, yeah, it's great. It makes things easy. Um, another new feature that uh, Google has introduced, or actually put to GA, is the new data loss prevention tool for BigQuery. Uh, automatic DLP Ooh. was previously accessible in public preview and is now available in its entirety. Google is also providing customers with additional options to control the frequency and parameters under which their data is profiled. So my reading of this, uh, DL, auto DLP, if you've got a huge data set, rather than having to go through and label everything and find it and blah, 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 auto DLP will just do it for you. Real. So is this would this also be like if you need to scan data for like um, like yeah credit card if you if yeah. stuff you know if you're doing your for your PCI obligations. Yep, and it'll identify PII, right? Yeah, so personal information. But it may be PII that you haven't thought of. Mm-hmm. And you've got a huge unstructured data set and it goes, Oh, here's a piece of PII. Um yeah. The AI says that's PII. Uh, I'm going to identify that as PII, even though you've, you know, it's not sort of in your shortlist. Um, I, I imagine there's a way to like flag it and tell, ask you if you want to want to have it or not. Um, it does it automatically. Oh, that's so good. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, to make it a bit easier to get started with automatic DLP, the team has built a number of new dashboard templates for Google Data Studio to give users easy access to advanced summary and more graphical investigation tool. They can, use, they can also use Google Cloud Console to drill into their data, but that's not the most user-friendly experience. They can, of course, also take this data to Looker or another BI tool to investigate it, but the team want to give users the easy access to point to working with their data that encapsulates a lot of its own learnings. This, once again, uh, a security feature here, another new feature is building integration with Chronicle. Google Cloud Security Analytics Service. The service now automatically sync risk scores for every table within Chronicle, and the team promises to build additional integrations over time. So it'll give you a risk score uh, and then integrate with uh, their, their Chronicle tool Brilliant. automatically. Yeah. Just That's what you want. More native integrations. It's always great. So that now is in general availability. Hey. All right, so we will move on with a few security articles. Um, Google tracked record 58 exploited in the wild zero-day security holes in 2021. 58. <laughs> Google butthunk, this is an article on the register. Google's butthunkers say they spotted 58 zero-day vulnerabilities being exploited in the wild last year. 
which is the most ever recorded since the Project Zero team started analysing in mid-2014. So we've talked about Project Zero on the show before. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is uh, more than double the last year, which was 28. Hey, um, that's 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 not great, right? That's seeing a, a, a big uptick like that. Like the previous peak was, what, I think it was sort of like 2015, so... Yeah. Well, they're saying that the uptick is probably due to the increased detection and disclosure of the zero days. So people are more aware of it. Uh, and this article also talks about the fact that everyone's, uh, the, the miscreants are just using the same techniques over and over and over again. So if you know the technique to look for. Right. So it's, it's more of a detection thing. Like it was all, it was been happening for years. We now just picking them up and. Yeah, because they know the techniques that they're using and they're just mm-hmm. looking for those techniques and finding them now, right? There's very few that are unique. Right. Um, or novel techniques. And I'll link to the, sh- the article in the show notes. They do go in, they go into detail on, on one or two of those uh, novel techniques. Uh, one of them was that um, one report reported that the North Koreans were using with the iframe oh, JavaScript yeah. a few weeks with, ago. Yeah. With the recruitment emails. With the recruitment emails, yeah. Most of them are overflow or, um, you know, uh, invalid or dissimilar data fields causing a, you know, a crash or a corruption or something. Gotcha. Um, but, but why this article is important to us is because it goes, it talks about Chrome. Uh, Chromium, which is at the heart of Google's Chrome, has recorded a high number of zero days in 2021. This is a big deal because almost 3 billion people use Chrome. Uh, and now it's the basis of Edge, Brave, and Vivaldi. It's like uh, the basis of pretty much everything now. Everything. That's, yeah. that's for so far and away the, the most popular browser. <laughs> Six of these targeted Chromium's JavaScript engine V8, and it's worth noting the three other holes in Chrome that Google fixed last month and last were also V8 vulnerabilities. Mm. And speaking of uh, Chrome vulnerabilities, the next article here talks about Google issues third emergency fix for Chrome this year. This is from Friday the 14th. Uh, sorry, Friday the 15th. Uh, one of the flaws is a type confusion vulnerability. So this is what I was trying to remember the, the, yeah. the, the terminology before. Uh, CVE 2022-1364 is a high-severity zero-day bug that is actively being abused by attackers. With a type confusion flaw, a program will allocate a resource like a pointer or an object using one type, but later will access the resource using another type. Uh, incompatible type, right? The language is like C and C++. Uh, the vulnerability can result in out-of-bounds memory access, which... So, um, this I, I remember the emergency one that we spoke about a month ago. Yeah. Um, I feel like that was also another type confusion one. Yeah, it might have been type confusion or overflow. Uh, there might have... Was there two we talked about last month, perhaps, possibly? Mm. Um, but I think that... I think what was novel about that one is the way they got access to it um, right. using the iframe. Um, and then there was another one, which is CVE 2022-1364, and they're not actually releasing the details on that one. Oh. Not until the bug fixes out. So once again, people, update your Chrome. If you see that little update thing, make sure you got it. Um, make sure you get the latest because they're out there and they're going to get you. And it seems every fortnight now we're, we're reporting these kind of bugs in Chrome. 
Everything we've talked about here today is built up to this one thing that Google are trying to do, and that is the web giant is pumping billions of dollars into its security offering so that the big bet will pay off. This includes mergers and acquisitions, such as building out technologies to work across AWS, Azure, and on-premises environments. So security, 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 security. And that sounds right. like a good amount of security, so <laughs> maybe a couple That's a good more, amount. Right? <laughs> yeah. So this article here on the register, they went away and interviewed um, Sunil Potty, which is uh, Google Cloud Security VP. Really interesting read. I highly recommend. If you don't read any of the articles that we link to, this this is the one that you need to have a look at. Um, you know, all these quotes are probably going to be from him. Um, Instead of just selling Google as a cloud service provider, we intentionally decided we are a brand in security, Potty said. Gotcha. Yep. So they the Google are going app. hard after this after this, right? So the one thing that people are complaining about with cloud services is security. Google are going after it, right? Amongst the other things that we talk about that they complain about, but this is the one thing that they're targeting at the mo- at the moment. So Google is becoming a security brand, right? Google's answer to this was Anthos. It's a multi-cloud platform that launched in 2019. It allows customers to run Kubernetes workloads in their data centers and Google Cloud platforms as well as Azure and AWS. It gave security a starring role, right? Um, Google had to start after, right? So they started developing this uh, in 2020 after Chinese cyber spies successfully infiltrated it on another Silicon Valley tech giant's network installed intellectual property. Remember that one in 2010? Yeah, a long time back. Yeah. And yeah, I think that led to, you know, the creation of like the Titan security tokens and... Yeah, yep. Was- and then the whole concept of zero trust came out of that, right? So no one is trusted. Everyone's treated at the same level. And uh, it's once you're trying to drag a legacy company out of that old way of thinking and and, and to come to a zero trust model, it's... It's an eye-opener. It's just like, oh, my God, the lights have just gone on. Yeah. Um, once they get it and they see how it works. Um, yeah, big difference to just like, oh, we'll just protect the perimeter. And as long as the walls are high enough, we can, we can keep them out. And, you know, like we had the, um, the discussion last time about like lapses and all they were doing was just social engineering, like getting access to the people that are in your environment, right? So, And just breaching that wall and getting in. Yeah. Once you're on the inside- Bang, you got at it, right? Um, also in 2019, Google moved its Chronicle. Once again, Chronicle gets a mention. Chronicle moved, uh, Google moved its Chronicle security analytics platform, which had spun out of Alphabet into a standalone startup, back into its cloud security fold. So they're pulling all these things in to make this all-in-one security portfolio. Um, Around this time, security became a major pillar of Google Cloud and Google invested heavily in its standalone security products, Potty recalled. Uh, we've got infrastructure, we've got workspaces, we've got data analytics and M- M- ML AI, then we've got security. Um, so, um, yeah, to go on uh, with the Mandiant thing, um, during my reading of this article, I found out that... Um, Potty couldn't discuss the Mandian deal oh. because it is subject to a lawsuit at the moment. And <laughs> what seems suing? to 
Yeah, so what seems to have happened, according to a lawsuit filed in the New York Federal District Court by a shareholder, uh, Shiva Stein, Mandiant made material incomplete and misleading statements to investors in financial documents filed with the U.S. Secretaries and Exchange Commission about the planned acquisition. Mm. So Mandiant didn't fess up with all the data to their shareholders. That's how it sounds. Right. As per the terms of the deal, each Mandiant stockholder will receive $23 for each share owned. Today, the stock is $22.40 apiece and was about 1938 before the word of the takeover emerged in early March. So they're getting a little bit, not much. However, Mandiant's financials submitted to the SEC don't disclose the whole picture, the lawsuit alleges. Specifically, Mandian's management team, along with the financial advisors at Goldman Sachs, prepared a set of non-public financial forecasts for Mandian's board of directors about the security, cybersecurity company's valuation, the lawsuit claimed. These numbers, which investors may well be interested in or need, don't make it, didn't make it into the public proxy statement, we're told. So the numbers weren't made available to them. Right, and I think they're saying now is that they're just saying that the document exists, not what's in the document. They want that. Ex- they want that exposed. They want that exposed. Yeah. Um, according to the proxy statement, should have but fails to provide certain information in the projections that Mandiant Management provided to the board and the financial advisors, according to the lawsuit. So it's not a fait complete at the moment. Um, you know, you hear these big announcements, such a big buyout, but then something like this swoops in behind. And like, it was only by happen chance I discovered this article yeah. and and we would have thought it'd be all done and dusted by now, but no, that's not the case. Interesting that they can't discuss uh, it at all right now. Well, well this can't is discuss it at all right now. Yeah. So we'll, we're going to definitely keep an eye on that one because um, that is going to form a big, big part of this security portfolio, I'd imagine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. Anyway, we'll go on. Uh, Google here. Um, Google's also partnering with endpoints, and I think we mentioned this the other week too. Uh, and extended detection and response providers, including CrowdStrike, Palo Alto Networks, and Cyber Reasons, which provide their own security services on top of Google's Chronicle and Beyond Cork Enterprise Suite, uh, for a more complete offer. So they've got some partners in there as well. Yeah, right. Yeah, big things happening in the security space for Google. Mm, for Google. Definitely. And I thought, you know, we've got to have a list. Yeah, good old lists on this show. <laughs> I didn't even know that we like doing lists. <laughs> we, we, do, we do list. <laughs> we do list. Uh, five benefits Google Cloud Platform customers may get from the Mandiant acquisition. Now, If it goes through. Is, <laughs> yeah, it's a big may if it goes through, right? <laughs> And this is a list. Um, and look, we'll try and keep this brief. Um, automated breach response steps, right? Security teams can now collect the appropriate data that can be shared across Google customers to inform others of specific attacks launched by many ransomwares as a service outfits. So if a ransomware happens over here, then, then you know, you it'll be informed, be yeah. informed everywhere, right? And any, any kind of breach, right? And then I, I guess... The and much much the same way they treat spam, right? Think of it as you know, if someone gets spammed and they report it, bang, it gets blocked for everyone. So why not treat breaches the same way? Yeah, I think that's a major benefit of, of using a, a widely available service where they can collect the data on impacts 
and build it out. Like, yes, information on your breach uh, or is like going to go into their system. However, like information on other people's breaches is going to help you. So yeah, it's, it's a really kind of community data. <laughs> That's community data. Yeah. Uh, they think it will bring new ideas and products to market. Uh, now, Kevin Mandia and his team. So Kevin Mandia is uh, like a sort of cloud security god, I guess. Kevin Mandia and his team can drive relevant cybersecurity offerings in all their products, including Gmail. Most ransomware attacks come with email phishing and Beck attacks. Right. So, so some new ideas can be driven out of it. Uh, they can build a comprehensive security offering. I think we've talked about that enough. So we're going to end up with uh, Chronicle, which is the same. Uh, we're going to end up with uh, the system automation, automated and response uh, system security orchestration, automation and response to SOAR, uh, which which uh, Mandiant have, um, and then. Uh, Virus Total, which is the open source intelligence tool, uh, and Mandiant adds threat intelligence and incident response resources. So it's a complete suite of tools. The whole stack. Yeah. The whole stack, yeah. Um, also, they'll bring focus on prevention versus response. So I thought this was interesting. As one of the leaders in data science, uh, can progress and move forward the ability to prevent the unknown vectors of attack before they are based upon the mountains of data available from previous breaches investigated by Mandiant. There could be truly significant advancements in cybersecurity for its cloud customers. So combining all of that data with AI and the predictive powers of AI, yeah, that it could be significant. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, the attackers are only getting, well, I, w I would say that they're getting cleverer. They are, but they're also, as we've seen earlier, like just using a lot of the same old bag of tricks. Yeah. There's um, not many novel techniques that are being used. Yeah. Um, same old bag of tricks. AI is going to pick that right up. And they'll be able to offer customers security experts who understand data breaches right from the start. So the idea behind this is um, you're not just seeing the security experts once there's a breach. Right, you're you're involved with them right from the beginning, and you're doing tabletop exercises and drills and things. Um, the board of directors, legal counsel, and the operation people are now involved with the cyber team to walk through how they will respond when the next big event occurs, whether it's ransomware or destructive malware that, you, like you were seeing in the Russia-Ukraine conflict. So, those those um, you know, CEOs and management and, and boardroom people that normally wouldn't have been involved with the day-to-day -day, uh, minutia of IT and tech. Now, right from day one, they can be involved with the company's security posture. Um, and effectively, it's a battlefront, right? <laughs> I mean, they, they, well, they is, literally right? created the Russia-Ukraine conflict here. It's effectively yeah. a battlefront and they have to, um, you know, uh, uh, set up the strategy for their responses to things. They need to be across it. They need to have the buy-in on the, you know, the technologies and and practices to help mitigate that. I mean, you know, we've seen over the years, like, especially, um, you know, what was it, uh, like, Toll and a few of the other, like, big logistics companies that had awful breaches that knocked them mm. out for, you know, like, months. Months, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, you know, any company of any size, like... 
thinking of the damage that would be for you know, to be locked out of like, all of your enterprise, uh, every line of business application being down, like that's just a, a terrifying scenario to be in. Yeah. At least you can actually have so some they, people to help. Yeah, so those boardroom peeps want to be involved from day one, absolutely. Well, Dave, I think we've talked about security enough for today. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we've covered it all in terms of, uh, you know, exploits and security and, and DLP. Um, yeah, I uh, I think that's going to make the show for today. What do you think? I, I think that's enough. I think, uh, <laughs> you know, frantically go around and update Chrome on all my PCs. And, uh, do it, do it. Yeah. And how's that migration looking? Uh, oh, let me, let me pull it up. Let's see. It's gone during the call. Um, oh, yeah, look at that. One of them's uh, waiting for its maintenance window, and the other ones are about a uh, quarter done. Yeah, it's kicking along. All right. Awesome. Another cloud migration in the bag. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that's about it from us for this fortnight. Don't forget to check out Casna Between Two Clouds, our sister YouTube channel. Uh, we've got the email there, gcplife at casna.com.au or the Twitter at gcplife. Uh, we regularly cross post in the Casna uh, um, page on LinkedIn as well. So uh, if you're not following myself or Dave or Casna on LinkedIn, then do that. Uh, we've got the website there as well. Uh, you can probably Google that now. Uh, also, go and write us a review on iTunes. That'll really help the show out. And of course, today's show is sponsored by Casna. At Casna, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. Well, that's it for me for two weeks. And what about you, Dave? Yeah, that's a well, no more no more four day weeks, unfortunately. For me. <laughs> Unless so, you're in Brisbane. But yeah, yes. <laughs> no, so I'm going to uh, look forward to five day weeks. <laughs> All right, then. We'll catch you later. Bye. All right, catch. Bye. Yeah, actually, that would be that would be good to see from a a network uh, network expect uh. perspective. <laughs> perspective, not ex- I don't know what I was going to say. Words are hard. Words are hard. <laughs>